Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod. We're in Leviticus chapter 16 and it's the Day of Atonement. Some people, when they hear Leviticus, they think, oh, no, not Leviticus. And I think that's a shame. I mean, this is a wonderful part of God's word and of God's um, salvation for his people. But one of the reasons that we tune out of it is just because it's in an unfamiliar genre. So this is ritual. Uh, There's very detailed instructions, which you have to follow exactly, involving things like dipping your finger in seven times into blood and sprinkling it seven times and all sorts of ceremonial washings and and people think oh what a faff and one of the problems with that I think is we don't really understand the genre of ritual and why it can be so so helpful um so we get some rituals even in our own country so I was trying to think of some but here's one um a whole family um each morning wakes up and opens a different numbered door um, counting up to 24 doors and there may or may not be chocolates behind it what a faff <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, uh, exactly it's just it generates excitement in the family and even if you know nothing about what's going on you think oh there's a countdown here and there's mounting anticipation and the whole family participates in it advent calendars if you hadn't worked it out or another one would be a um a woman walks down to the front of a building uh, dressed beautifully with uh, her father with her father and then leaves with somebody else, um, her husband. With some more jewellery than she's wearing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and th- yeah, this, again, if you know nothing about weddings, this tells you a lot about them. It's a le- um, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And that theology is then embodied in a, in a ritual. Now, we're only given two rituals for the church in the New Testament, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, but um, here is one which finds its fulfilment in Jesus but for a thousand years or so, um, more than a thousand years, the people of Israel are doing this every year. So the, there's something about a list of instructions which is not exciting if you just read it. You have to sort of enact it or at least imagine it being enacted. And I'm, I'm sort of sad for people who are only listening to Grace Pod because when we did this at Grace Church Greenwich, we enacted it. We had little cob, cardboard tabernacles and... Um, I set fire to the priest's clothes when we did it, and I don't know about you. There's it, the smoke alarms may may not be able to cope with that when we do it tonight in Candlewater Library, but yeah. Um, but actually, to see it worked out and imagine doing this every year and how much it will shape the theology. There's, you can teach someone theology by saying something, but if you get them to act in a way that is consistent with that theology, it sort of embodies and helps us to get it. So I'm, I'm basically saying, if if you think Leviticus is boring. You need to reenact it, and then you realise, wow, this is saying some very powerful things about God. Yeah, um, it'd be worth um, thinking of where we've got to in the Bible storyline, the scroll of time, um, and one of the things to notice is um, this: there's a connection between this and the beginning of the Bible overview, where we were in the Garden of Eden. Um, do you want to talk about that? Well, this tent, this um, <laughs> makes me think of Joel's sermon. Joel recently at Grace Church Greenwich um, was uh, talking about 2 Corinthians where the tent is used as a rather unfavourable analogy of a human body and the tent of this body. And he brought out um, most people's hatred of camping. I think he loves camping, but 
His wife's not so sure. So he, um, so I'm thinking about that. But the tabernacle isn't that kind of analogy of tent. This is a glorious, glorious place because the tabernacle tent is in lots of ways like the Garden of Eden. And it's sort of shaped like it because it has a curtain along the middle with cherubim embroidered in it, which is, if you remember, Adam and Eve are excluded from the Garden of Eden and cherubim guard the way. So like the entrance to Eden has cherubim, the entrance to the inner part of the tent has cherubim. It has a lampstand, which um, people know the shape of the Jewish lampstand, but it looks very like a tree. It has branches on it. And that's not an accident because it's like the tree of life with its different um, branches. It has um, on the high priest breastplate when he goes in lots of precious stones, which are all the same sorts of precious stones as the found in the Garden of Eden. Um, I'm running out, but I suspect you have a yeah, list of them. Well, Andrew, to help us there's some other list. ones to do with priests. So Adam was told to work and keep the garden. And those two verbs are used later of what priests are to do to, to guard the, the sanctuary. And um, the East West is a really interesting one. So um, they're sent out east of Eden. And whenever you go east, it's towards chaos and away from God. And we're going to see that the east-west thing, so they head west back into the Holy of Holies, into the lush paradise where God dwells. Mm. Um, but, so that's the obvious one. So that's what I missed out. And God lives God there. God lives there. Yeah, obviously God's <laughs> omnipresent, but God's specially present with his people there, just yeah. like he walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam in the cool of the day. There's three stages. There's, there's more that we could add, but you get the idea. This is the moment where, for the first time in the Bible overview, since Eden humanity gets to walk back into God's presence in the so garden. This is difficult for me. So I resonated with Jill's sermon because his tent analogy, camping bad, but here you've got to think of the best ever, ever, ever tent and being with God in walking back into paradise, basically. But, um, okay, so that's what it's doing in the Bible story. Tell us what it's doing within the Pentateuch, by which I mean the first five books of the Bible, because it has a very significant place. Well, some people have um, noticed that the Bible is full of these sandwiches of symmetrical structures. And if you like them, you'll be very interested in what is the third of five books, which is Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Leviticus at the middle. And structurally, everyone agrees the middle of Leviticus is chapter 16. So we're kind of the middle of the middle of the middle. And um, so this is underlining what an important moment this is in the bible storyline and then the the other key context um that we get in the first couple of verses of our chapter um tells us what has happened in leviticus chapter 10 and it's being resurfacing and being brought to mind again so just to set it out absolutely clearly we're at the climax of the story in a way because we're about to re-enter the presence of God, or at least the high priest on our behalf is about to, and it's like going back to Eden. So we've actually, for one person representing us, we've restored what was lost in the fall, and God's presence is in being enjoyed. And this is going to be about how to do that. Chapter 10, Aaron's sons do this in the wrong way, and it's a tragedy, and they, they die because God's wrath. We read in chapter 10... <clears throat> The wrath of God came upon them and they died. So verse two, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. In other words, it's not going to be safe to do it willy nilly, however you want, casually. You've got to do it like this. So it's a wonderful thing because it's being close to God. 
that is itself is a very dangerous thing because for a sinner to be close to God means his wrath may break, break out against you. It's a bit like we saw at Sinai last week that coming near the mountain was very frightening. So how can you be both sinful and close at the same time? That, and I think that's the equation. Sin plus proximity equals death. You can either keep your distance and be a long way from God and give up on ever being friends with God. But if you're going to be close to God, something has to happen to your sin lest you die. And so that's what the whole ritual is going to be about. Yeah. And one of the uh, ways we, we've tried to kind of modernize or bring it up to date is that it is a kind, well, it is a cleansing ritual, but not literally um, detergent and dustpans and brush. Um, the cleansing weirdly happens through application of blood. Now, mm. I know that sounds odd, but this is the way God cleanses is through um, animal death, which points forwards towards uh, Christ's sacrifice. When we did the book of Revelation, one of my friends, who's a graphic designer, made a mock-up of a washing powder box. And Daz is a UK washing powder brand. But he made this box with Daz blood. And it was exa- making exactly this point, that, that only blood can make you whiter than white morally before God. And there's various um, parts of the cleansing uh, ritual. And the first thing is that the, the cleaners, i.e. the high priest, um, is going to have to scrub up himself um and so he he has sacrifices um made for himself even before he he uh, tries to cleanse the tabernacle and he has special holy garments that he wears but before he wears them he's got to wash with water and then put on the special clothes um so and then there's there's so there's preparation and then there's kind of lots of decontamination afterwards it makes me think one of those films where people come out in their hazmat suits and then their phones down with the water space but it's like that that the clothes that have been used in the thing have to be burned and and it's like a decontamination ritual after and there's a particular order uh, for the cleansing so um the the tabernacle has a, a holy place which is uh, kind of the living room where there's um table of showbread and the lampstand and the altar of incense and then there's a final room which is god's throne room the mm. holy of holies at the end and they start at the cleansing at the absolute hub of it and then at each stage he goes from that place eastwards to the next place cleanses that and then eastwards again outside the whole tent to cleanse the bronze altar um so he's heading uh in some way the the, the dirtiness is heading eastwards he's moving out so he goes into the throne room and then takes the dirt it's like you go and hoover it and then the so hoovering, no one knows what, vacuum it, I mean. We used to call them hoovers when we were young. You vacuum it and then you take the dust bag out, 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 further and further, further away. And then there's this strange thing with two goats and they're, they're, they're treated as a pair, um, but then you, you cast lots for them and you, you give them different um, destinies, different directions. Um, and one of the goats um, is going to be heading westwards towards God uh, and one of them is heading eastwards away from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the one that uh, we, we get the word scapegoat, which comes out of this passage, um, that's the, the goat that is led out into the wilderness away from God. And uh, before it does that, the, the high priest puts his hands on it. I love this moment. He puts both hands on the goat and then confesses over the goat all of the transgressions of the people, all of their sins. So it's this, I mean, again, our point was 
richer when you see it enacted, you understand what it means. And you don't need a theologian to explain this to you. You see someone laying hands on the animal and then confessing. And it is like a a transfer, a putting of your sin onto this animal that it might take it away. And then whilst the sin is going off in that direction, the other animal, uh, I guess, representing the worshipper is is um, uh, killed and the blood brought into um, God's presence, uh, representing coming close to God. I love this other detail as well. You said about this, the living room, there's the throne room. And in the living room is the altar, the incense of altar, sorry, altar of incense. That's the way around. <laughs> but what you have to do there is get a load of incense and make it really fine and then throw it on the fire so that it makes loads of smoke so that you can go into the throne room and not see anything. Because, it's, again, it, the symbolism of it is God's presence is very dangerous. If you were to see the mercy seat, I mean, you can't actually see God because he's spirit, but if you even saw the throne where he presences himself it'd be too much for you so you fill it with smoke first to make it safer and it would be equivalent of wearing dark glasses or putting dry ice something so that if something was going to be so piercingly bright it wouldn't damage your eyes it's Mm. that's kind of idea and it's this idea and watch this space later in the bible overview because um the clouds of heaven are a kind of um a veil between uh, our our realm and God's realm, and we'll we'll come across Daniel going through the clouds, and uh, in Hebrews we'll think about Christ um, going through the clouds. So this this cloud of uh, incense is a little bit like uh, where it's going to get picked up as a kind of veil that Christ will pass through when he goes into heaven. It's like the doorway to the throne itself. Exactly, it's a cloud doorway. That's cool. Yeah. Um, we <laughs> should we go with for our parable? This was a, a, a an idea to try and. Uh, express what is happening um, with blood but to do it in the analogy of the hoover bag the the vacuum and it was it was a you, you can poke holes in it but it, this was um an attempt of ours to try and capture the what everything that's happening that day through the grid of the parable of the white house in the coal mining community so i just read this yeah, out read it, read it. um If you've got ways to tweak it and improve on it, we'd love to. (laughs) It's not perfect, but here we go. Um, So a wonderful but scrupulously clean man came to live in a coal mining community. So this is the pure God living amongst an impure people. The people valued his presence and say they agreed to abide by his once a year clean up day. That's the day of atonement in Leviticus 16. The chosen special cleaner, high priest, Though cleaner than the others, is still grubby and needs a scrub up. Also, he's not used to seeing such shiny white surfaces everywhere, so he makes use of a smoke machine to soften the glare somewhat, or the dark glasses. Um, He cleans all the rooms, gradually sweeping from the inner to the outer rooms, and then the hoover bag is taken a long way away. Everyone involved with the hoover bag and the cleaning have inevitably got a bit grubby, so before they present a final gift to the owner... They scrub up again and it's a public holiday and everyone watches it. So the village remembers how serious their grubbiness is and how incompatible it is with the man's cleanliness. And those are capturing not just the idea of um, the cleansing, but the way that this is something for everyone to learn from and enjoy. Yes. And it's helpful again when you said that he cleans from the inner to the outer. 
it made me think of just when you're doing the washing up and how you you're washing your dishes and you don't do the big pot and pan first because it makes all the water oily you do the glasses first which are already the cleanest thing because they've just had wine in them or water in them but you wash glasses first and then you do the really dirty stuff so you do the throne room first which is the least dirty and then you move out but then there's the weird question how come god's throne room is dirty in the first place because you know god's not dirty he's he's holy and you get this verse which i find really helpful verse 16 thus aaron shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of israel because of their transgressions all their sins and he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses so you kind of see it from god's perspective exactly that's what your analogy captures i think here is this very holy very pure god and he wants to live with people who are dirty but he himself can't stomach moral filth so what's he going to do so it's it's sort of to make it possible for god to be close um the incompatibility of holiness and sin as as you said the, the danger is death or the other danger is god withdraws and i suppose that in a way if, if that's the equation sin plus proximity equals death there's two ways of solving it you either solve the sin or you just lose the proximity god just is distant from you but to have god close to you he he needs this and we need we need this to be safe god needs this to be able to stomach to continue to dwell with us yeah and i guess one of the the big take homes and, and this is really what's missing in our parable is just how important blood is mm. um everything about this ritual is to to do with the death of animals and the application of their blood to different parts of it and um we we should realize that, that there's only one answer to drawing near to a close uh, a holy God, and it's the way He is given for us, which is the way of sacrifice, uh, pointing us forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. There's been a a lot of controversy. Maybe Grace Pod here is right now about this. But in the last century, there was a big debate about the word for the mercy seat. So it's the on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. There's this atonement cover. And the the word, when it's translated into Greek, is the word hilasterion. Um, and it comes a few times in the New Testament, this word. Um, but it doesn't refer always to the mercy seat. It refers to the whole sacrifice that involved the mercy seat. Um, and it's translated sometimes as propitiation and sometimes as expiation. And I think that doesn't really help because neither of those are words that we ever use in the English language ordinarily. But the point is, expiation means this is the sacrifice that takes away sin propitiation means this is the sacrifice that turns aside god's anger at sin and there's there's a big debate about it and basically some people wanted to downgrade the word from propitiation to just expiation it's not god's anger that's the issue god isn't angry with us it's just our sin that's the issue because it makes us dirty and i think you'd have to say going back to the sort of root of it this is where the word comes from i mean in the old testament it, it is both right there's there's both elements so the the wonderful thing about the scapegoat is you confess your sins on this animal and you watch it take away your sins into the distance as far as from the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And yet, um, when Nadab and Abihu got this wrong back in chapter 10, God was angry with them because there is it's not sin is not just a detached thing. God is personally hostile towards evil. And I think, it, it, therefore, it's both. We need our sin to be dealt with 
and we need God's wrath that's in to be dealt with. I remember a brilliant analogy of this I heard about, and it was an illustration by Vaughan Roberts from Oxford, and he was talking about um, this verse in Romans about the propitiation. And he said, imagine someone came in um, overnight and spray-painted the outside of this meeting room saying Vaughan Roberts is an idiot or something, or, some, or something ruder than that in spray paint and he said i the next day i come in and i see it and i'm very upset um what do they need to do to fix it well they could just get some paint stripper and remove the the paint yeah that hasn't solved it he says because <laughs> you've taken away the offensive sin you haven't taken away my my anger at it and th- this is both so we need a sacrifice to take away our sin and we need a sacrifice to propitiate god's wrath against our sin yeah now one of the questions is the, the take came what does this mean for us as, as new testament believers um and actually is the book of hebrews um riffs on this whole passage and tells us that this is fulfilled for us in our high priest um the lord jesus and um would it be good to shall i read uh, a section of hebrews 9 um which shows how uh, christ has fulfilled this sacrifice this um right this ritual for us you've been studying hebrews andrew so i'm going to give it to you to take away i should say just looking at the time this would be our last thing probably for this episode so why don't you tell us about hebrews so in chapter nine he introduces um yom kippur the day of atonement um, and then he says this but when christ appeared verse 11 as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, Christ entered once for all into the holy places. So Jesus went not into a tent, but into the true tent in heaven, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, as in Leviticus 16, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We have the true Adam, the true Holy of Holies. He's gone into the true presence of God. And because of that, uh, we can be confident that we are acceptable to God. Oh, such a great note to finish on. Um, Andy, thank you and thanks for listening. Uh, do subscribe if you've enjoyed this. We'll be back next time to look at, where are we next time? We're at the spies spying out the promised land, I think, in numbers. So uh, see you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.